Welcome back, dudes and dudettes, to another episode of Surviving Empathy Podcast. I am your host, Brian Russell of Chef Bride Comedy. And ladies and gentlemen, today I have my beautiful wife and co-host, Rebecca Russell, and we are going to talk about some reviews, you guys. First, we're going to review the 2022 Hulu movie, Hellraiser 2022. It was pretty good. Spoiler alert. And then later on in the show, we are going to do our best to be kind and review Rob Zombie's The Monsters 2022. Uh, Spoiler alert, it wasn't all bad, we'll say. (laughs) And then with the leftover remaining minutes, we want to talk about the movie we finally got around to watching, 2017's Get Out by Jordan Peele. Oh my God, that was so, so good. Ladies and gentlemen, we are trying to be a resource for empaths and sensitives and people with mental health struggles. We're trying to be relatable and kind, but also deep and thoughtful as well. And, uh, you know, we hate having to ask for charity, but we need your help with tip jars. And you can be a patron on Patreon for little as $3 per month. If you just pitch in a couple dollars per month until we get sponsors, we're going to be uh, in like Flynn, you guys. We're going to be set. We're going to be ready and raring to go for you guys. We are all about celebrating kindness and goodness. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that we have to be suckers. In this world, we have to oftentimes protect ourselves, but we're living in a world that is so overwhelming, and we're just trying to give you guys a little bit of compassion and clarity so you can uh, pick up the pieces of your life and really turn it into something bold. You have the power to make your life really awesome, and we want you guys to see that in yourself. Thank you guys so very much for your friendship and support. Get comfortable, and let's begin. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Surviving Empathy Podcast. I am your host, Brian Russell of Chef Bright Comedy. And today, ladies and gentlemen, I've got my beautiful wife and co-host, Rebecca Russell. Please say hello to the folks. Hello, folks. So, you guys, uh, we just did a... We're doing all the episodes this week on one day. We don't usually do that, but we're doing that today because I have things to do this week. But um, so this is a... Double header. I, I hope my voice doesn't sound too blown out. Uh, but we just did a big long episode all about uh, friendship and trust and uh, society and class systems and how to find your identity in all that. That was a good one in the can, as they say. Uh, but this one's a little bit different. We want to talk all about just plain and simple movie reviews. Ah. <laughs> ah, <laughs> so we're gonna do a movie review in the in the uh, observation of spooky season. We're gonna do a Hellraiser 2022 review. Uh, we're gonna review Rob Zombies, the monsters, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I think we're gonna be a little bit different than most people have been out there. They've been pretty critical outright, universally, and I I have a few things to say negatively, but I have a few things that I think are going to go uh, contrary to most people's expectations. So we'll talk about that. And then we're going to talk about, uh, because I just want to, I want we finally f- saw the movie last night, Get Out. Uh, God, what year did that movie come out? I think it was like 2017, maybe. Oh, my God, really? It's been really? a long time, yeah. So, yeah, five years later, six years later, we're finally seeing it. I can't believe it's been that long. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
And we managed to stay away from any spoilers that whole time. (laughs) How is that possible? Um, Because we're always on YouTube doing movie reviews, and I've seen it numbers of times, hordes of times, and I've always skipped past it. I never ended up getting a weird spoiler. So, yay for that. But that was a wonderful movie. Uh, But, yeah, uh, I wanted to start today... You know, and, and when we do these reviews, we're going to also sort of talk about what is the lesson learned here, really? I mean, because that's what yeah. movies are for. Entertainment is for many reasons, but it, it, with horror, there's usually a cautionary tale, and we'll talk about that. But I wanted to first start with Hellraiser 2022. Okay, because I'm a little bit more well-versed in Hellraiser lore than you, uh, I am going to try my best to talk about and set up what the Hellraiser universe is all about. And then we're going to go into a lot of little things about that. Um, you know, because uh, I, I do believe that, you know, th- this is a eighties horror movie that came out uh, back in the eighties uh, by the uh, British director. Uh, gosh, his name is escaping me now. Good grief. Clive Barker, of course. <laughs> And um, he uh, was raised a certain way where I think, you know, especially being a gay man, he came out, you know, he's openly gay. And uh, he also, he has some feelings about the way the church made him feel growing up about his homosexuality. And so uh, instead of turning into Jeffrey Dahmer, like we were talking about in the last episode, he decided to do something constructive with his angst, constructive with his feelings that he was getting from being ostracized by the church. And what he did was he wrote a series of books called Hellraiser that establishes this really interesting lore. And I want to talk about that lore. You go ahead and set it up the best you can and then I'll I'll go back into it. When... I don't even know how to how to start. It, I'm go for a, it. I'm gonna let you do that because I it, oh, it's so my. jumbled in my head. It's <laughs> Yeah, it just yeah. Which means it, it, that she doesn't really know what it's about. No, I do. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I do. It's just about it's about a puzzle box. Yes. That as you go through the different levels, um, yeah, they they need victims. So each and level, the reboot. Well, but the in the reboot. original is a little different. See, that's why I don't want to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so in the original, it's basically I don't want to you know go get linger on that too much. Yeah. But what it boils down to, you guys, is that. Um, there's this place called Leviathan. And Leviathan is basically uh, where there's a god. He's, the Leviathan is a god. and But we're not sure if he's a god or a demon, but we're made to feel like he's probably not necessarily the god, but a god. And um, the highest ascension is Leviathan, which is... Uh, one with that God, one with that essence of God. And, um, and it, it basically exists in a world where it's a, there, uh, there's these demons to some, angels to others, but they're called Cenobites. And uh, that's how they established them in the, in the originals is uh, Pinhead says there were demons to some and angels to others, but they're extra-dimensional beings who are sort of um, like angels if you will or archangels of leviathan and they act as servants of their god leviathan 
Whether or not there's a Christian God and all this, I'm not quite sure. But yeah, I don't think so. But there's but there's this place in Leviathan that is essentially hell. Well, I think the only really distinct distinction between the new Hellraiser and the old Hellraiser is that there was this puzzle box called either the puzzle box or the lament configuration. Now, they never really talked much about that in the movies. Now, I'm I'd never read the books by Clive Barker. Um, but basically you've got Pinhead and he was never named Pinhead. He was just the leader of these Cenobites who has pins in his face, of course. Doug Bradley, a uh, wonderful guy, wonderful actor. But um, <clears throat> he, um, like I said, he, he they kind of dress like sadomasochists where they're wearing leather and they've got this tool belt full of like saws and weapons of mutilation. And really what it's about is, is that, um, that sensation is considered um, subjective. That pain and pleasure, uh, there's this weird line between pain and pleasure, and that for Cenobites, there really is no distinction between them. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so their objective is, is that when somebody plays with the, um, the puzzle box or the lament configuration, uh, they are called to um, essentially, you know, as a sacrifice, when you solve the puzzle, essentially... Uh, you were granted um, a wish by the Cenobites. Now, it was always a little fuzzy to me growing up with the 80s. I, I knew that they came. I, ne I never they, 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 they were very distinct about you had to solve the puzzle to get there, but they never show you how to solve it. It's just, okay, it's solved now. It, mm -hmm. You mean a box turned back into a box? Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there was really, there was some ambiguity there because I think in the 80s, they didn't want to get too heavy handed with all of the ins and outs of how this world works. What was important is that Cenobites come when you solve the lament configuration and, um, and generally they will um, usually torture you or um, something like that. Um, chains come out and they hook you and then... Um, but, but in this new version, which I think is actually probably truer to Clive, Clive Barker's truest intention. And it makes more sense. Yeah, it makes more sense is that, is that uh, the lament configuration is only one of six actual configurations. And so there's all these different configurations, and I'm going to have to uh, get, get on my notes here. <laughs> so it says here... Um, in Bruckner's reboot, solving the puzzle grants an audience with Leviathan. And I told you Leviathan is uh, essentially the god, uh, the god who rules over the labyrinth. And the labyrinth is really what hell is. Yeah. It's this labyrinth of hell. They, you, you're damned there eternally. Um, in this audience, the current owner of the puzzle may ask for a gift between six possible choices. Life, knowledge, love, sensation, resurrection, or Power. However, to fully solve the puzzle, solving the lament configuration is not enough in the reboot. It says, an audience with God is only granted after the owner solves five configurations, leading the puzzle to the take a sixth and final configuration. The catch? Each new configuration demands a human sacrifice. Every time someone solves a configuration, a blade comes out of the puzzle, cutting the owner's hand. The cut marks the person to be hunted by the Cenobites, 
and the only way to get out alive is to stab another person with the puzzle. So the final prize is only available to someone who sacrificed five human lives to get what they want. And so basically what, and spoil, spoiler alert from this here on, <laughs> uh, but uh, basically there's a guy named Voigt. He was a rich guy. He uh, came upon, in Serbia, the puzzle box. He got what he wanted. This lady found him. She's an art dealer, and she found the the puzzle box for him. He lives in Massachusetts in this fancy, you know, mansion. And so jump to uh, a little bit later, uh, he's throwing a party, and uh, the lady who uh, got him the the puzzle box is there, and uh, uh, basically take it from there. And I'll I'll catch. I'll- yeah, there's there's someone at the party that comes up and talks to her, and it's pretty. I- I think it was pretty obvious to me that they they singled him out. Yeah, they brought him there for a reason because they knew he'd feel he's uncomfortable. The he's, he's the bait. He's definitely he was and, the pretty boy bait. You yeah. could tell. Yep. Yes. So she just tells him you need to go to find these double doors and at ten o'clock, and that's all she tells him. So right. he goes. So he he goes. walks in, and there's Voight and the puzzle box. Right. And he tells him to solve it. And the guy and, asks, well, do I get a prize? And Invoid's like, well, I do. Well, right. That was, <laughs> that was, <laughs> so, yeah. And, but the guy's just too curious about it. So he solves it into the final configuration. Yeah. Into the Leviathan configuration. Yeah. He gets stabbed. He gets taken away. And I like how they didn't show him being tortured. They kind of showed him being strung up a little bit. He but got hung up hear, by the hooks, but, but then they went off camera. But all you hear is him in the background. You, you hear, hear more chains. You hear more hooks. You yeah. hear all this stuff. You hear him screaming. But then Voight's in the in the foreground. Yeah. with the Leviathan configuration. So he's he's going to get what he wants. Who gives a shit what's happening to the guy behind him? He could not care less. <laughs> he was just a means to get to the a means to, to get to, to the Leviathan yeah. configuration, yeah. right? Which is the highest level of ascension in this series of boxes, and that's what I really liked about this one is that it was kind of vague, kind of, in the original story. Mm-hmm. The puzzle box was the lament configuration. Never did we know until now that there actually was six actual configurations. Exactly. That yeah. you, the, the first one is the lament, and then you move on in descent, uh, ascending yeah. order to harder puzzles, and they all you know, are solved in a different shape. Mm-hmm. And then once they're solved, the Cenobites come, uh, they... they Say, would you like a gift? You accept that gift, and oftentimes in the final configuration, in the, they come in each configuration, right? But they come to steal the person, yeah. That solved it. For when you solve one. it, you you are basically hung out to dry by the Cenobites. They take you, uh, they kill you essentially with with yeah. hooks. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> talk about the Cenobites in your own words. What do you think they are, and what do they represent? I think that they they're people that have gotten through the box they've gotten to the leviathan configuration and it i think the way i interpreted it is that if if, if they choose power then they become a cenobite mm-hmm. if they choose other things like void chose um yeah. sensation yeah thinking it was going to be pleasure when it was immense pain right constant and so that's I think, the tricks of the cenobites yeah, is exactly. all, a lot of times I don't know if they're actively trying to trick you. It's that they have to play by a certain set of rules. And these rules are kind of what determines their, what they say. So for them, there's this set of rules. And so in this movie, um, she talks about uh, being, they call themselves explorers 
of the further regions of experience, which, you know, can be taken a number of ways, but it sounds to me like they, um, they're all about sensation. They're all about pain and pleasure. They're all about really testing the limits of what the body and mind can experience as a human being. So elaborate on that a little bit. Well, it's just taking things to that, the limits. I mean, like when Voight thinks of a sensation, he's only thinking of pleasure. So that's what his, so His when he accepts the gift, but they the gift don't differentiate. Tell him what happened to Void. Well, yeah, he wanted stimulation. Was it stimulation? Sensation. Sensation. Right. And so he's thinking pleasure. Yeah. But since they don't differentiate, right. their their answer to that was a mechanism that went into his body, controlled his body. And, and just never let him get used never, to, never so numbed. He nerves. never got used yeah, to. Yeah, so it, it pulled his nerves through this, like, weird contraption. So right. he's feeling every sensation of these nerves just being pulled and pushed and prodded. And, and he can never he, get used to it. And so it's this constancy of pain. Agony. He, agony he can't get out of, right? Yeah. And to the Cenobites, this is a gift because they are the arbiters of of sensation they're the arbiters of experience to stretch the human mind and body to the most extremes of perception Mm -hmm. of experience of sensation of reality yeah and what and what and that's a really really cool concept because at the end of the day i mean isn't that really what we're all sort of trying to do is we're when we experience pleasure we oftentimes take that to the limit. To, to what limit can we get to be, before we become an, an addict, for example, or before we become, you know, what pl- pain and pleasure? What, where do we draw the line between that pain and pleasure? Mm-hmm. And, and and then of course, line is different. Fantasy and reality. How far is someone willing to go into fantasy? Mm-hmm. And bringing fantasy into reality. So it's all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what the main theme of this whole movie is about is about the human experience of taking things to the highest threshold of extreme Mm -hmm. of reality of experience of sensation of pain and pleasure of fantasy and reality of life and death yeah yeah all right well just go ahead and set up really what then we end up with the girl and talk about where the story goes from there yeah well she's a recovering addict um who is staying with her brother and his boyfriend and a roommate. And Mm -hmm. she has a boyfriend Mm -hmm. and she's trying to figure out a way to make some money because she needs to pay rent. She wants to learn, start getting by on her own. And the boyfriend says, well, Hey, I've got this. I know of this warehouse where this billionaire has things shipped and there's a a shipping container there. So let's break into it and see what's in there. And And perhaps we can sell it and make Mm -hmm. some money. Right. Exactly. And of course they, they come across the puzzle box. Yeah. So she takes it. She starts. She goes, has a fight with her brother because she was out. She was drinking. He didn't want her in the apartment anymore. So she goes to a park and she starts messing around with the box. Yeah. And and also because she had a falling out with her brother, her brother kicks her out of the apartment. Um, She leaves and uh, she finds herself in her car where she grabs some pills that she had on the ready in case she wanted to relapse and she took the pills, and then she ended up sort of passing out in a park, and then uh, 
with the puzzle box. Yeah, and she did solve the first one, but it didn't cut her. She was holding it in a way that it didn't didn't cut her. her, So it's sitting there with the blade out. Yeah. And because she'd solved it, she's falling into this drug-induced state. Well, and she called the Cenobites, but now she's she's falling in and out of reality because because she's high now. Yeah, she solved it, but she didn't get stuck with it. I was surprised Mm -hmm. at how well that played out because Mm -hmm. I was really like, you know, this... It's very nuanced, and the, you know mm-hmm. she's fading in and out of reality, and then the Cenobites come in the park, uh, and and she's yeah. sort of passed out, and she doesn't know whether or not she's hallucinating or not. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and then yeah, then then her brother Matt, who is gay, they live with the uh, live-in boyfriend, mm-hmm. and they're all very nice people, and I I liked the characters because they weren't just you know, created to be disposable. They're, they had real personalities. Mm-hmm. They were real people. I like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so Matt, you know, he wakes up because when the, the the box was solved, he ends up having this nightmare about chains ripping him open. And he jumps up and he's like, and now he's thinking about the falling out he just had with his sister. He's like, I got to go find her. He's like, well, why don't you just call? And she's, he's like, she won't answer. She's mad at me. So he gets dressed, he goes downstairs, and he goes and finds her car, only to find that she's not there. <clears throat> she's parked right next to the park she's sitting at. So he looks up over the fence and sees her. Sees her, right. Passed out passed on out. the merry-go-round. So he, he's, he thinks she's relapsed, which is pretty much what she did do. And then um, he, he ends up getting the puzzle box because it's in her grasp. He grabs it out of her hand to hold so he can help her you know, he's trying to wake her back up and then they end up at a public restroom and he cuts himself on the box. He goes into the restroom to clean up and go ahead. And walls start moving and he starts the puzzle box when it cuts you. Right. (laughs) And when it cuts you, it also, it makes you feel like you're drugged. So he's in this state where he's feeling drugged and woozy and then the walls start moving and that's pretty much all you see. And then you hear him screaming in the bathroom. And then that's it. From the outside. So you don't actually see anything happen. But you don't know what happened, Mm -hmm. right. And because anybody who watches, um, you know, the old movies knows that when the Cenobites come, the walls sort of just kind of move anywhere they are. They'll come out from any wall. doesn't matter. They can break any fourth wall and just come in and being part of your life. And you're like, oh, hi. It could be your bedroom. It could be a, a hotel. It could be anywhere. And so, yeah, they, you know from inference that uh, the bathroom walls, you do, oh, actually, I think they did show the bathroom wall moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. So you know yeah. the Cenobites were coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then so he gets lost, and uh, the the Matt's boyfriend, uh, you know, now they jump to the police are there. They're trying to solve what's going on. Or, you know, the EMTs are there. Are you okay? She's still fading in and out of reality. Um, and and then the boy later on, the boyfriend's like, well, where the fuck is Matt? Where the fuck is Matt? He's like, well, I don't know. I I was fading in and out of reality. And then I heard a scream. I went in the bathroom. And he wasn't there. Yeah. And that's all we know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well done. Okay. And then uh, somehow she and the boyfriend... Uh, end up with the lady who was the art dealer who acquired the puzzle box for Voight. But now we see her, she's at a kind of like a hospice care for cancer um, patients. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, do we do we infer from that that you probably got cancer from the puzzle box? I, or is it separate? It's, I kind mm-hmm. of inferred that just because of dealing with things throughout the years with Voight, probably had a lot of other messed up stuff that they dealt with and got into occult things. And I think I it think, just kind of made me believe that somehow it, it was I feel related. Like, I feel like the puzzle box kind of ruins the lives of anybody who's sort of involved, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But... One way or the other, she's she has cancer. She's in hospice. Uh, she ends up getting cut with the box. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, she. Uh, they brought the box to her to, to kind of con- confront her, and then uh, she ends up touching the box, cutting herself, and of course they they leave, not knowing that mm-hmm. the they don't yet know that when you get cut, a centibite comes, and so she gets cut. Are you okay? Okay, she leaves. Kind of, they both leave in a hurry. And then uh, we see the Cenobites open up the hospital walls, and we're like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. And, yep. So there's, and there's they, number and two. And then they dispatched with her. Yeah. Right. And all this to say that basically what it boils down to is um, she does her research, finds out about Voight's house, ends up at the house, and then go from there. Go ahead. Yeah. And that's she, pretty much where the end of the, yeah. the second half of the whole story takes place is at Voight's house. Yeah, this mansion within in Massachusetts. Her, within her research, she saw that there was a whole bunch mm-hmm. of people that had disappeared and kind of right. just related it back to that. So they, yeah, she she goes out to his house. She comes across his room where all of his research was mm-hmm. and comes across um, a, a very detailed notebook about the box and right. the different configurations. And that's where she figures out the six configurations. Yeah, so she kind yeah. of puts all the pieces together. Then her um, her brother's boyfriend and her boyfriend and the roommate find her because they know that's where she was going. Right. And then and then stuff that's where starts to go down. Yeah. That's where- <laughs> and then you know and and there, like I said, we've issued a spoiler warning. So so if you haven't watched this yet, do go back because I'm about to spoil the whole fucking thing for you unless you don't care. But um, then we find out that um, the roommate girl ends up in the walls of the mansion with this contraption. This, you know, they're pressing all these buttons and things are happening in the house. It reminded me very much of 13 Ghosts. Yeah. The, way the house is more the of a mechanism. The, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I, I totally like that. Yeah. Um, th- and it was done very well. And then what happens, she ends up in the walls only to be... Right, so she discovers that there's... Oh, shit. She sees the shadow of somebody in the walls. She flips out. She's like, oh, fuck. And then she gets stabbed in the back by this person. And then she kind of stumbles out into the mansion again from the walls, uh, only to find that it was Void living this entire time in the mansion. And she was hiding in the walls because mm-hmm. a bunch of people were coming into his house. Yeah. And we only set all that up to say that the, la- the first half of the movie is kind of figuring out the characters and their motivations and figuring out the lore and figuring out what the Cenobites are and where they come from. And then the second half of the movie is sort of like it all takes place at the mansion. And what we come to find out is that Voight this entire time. So when he uh, got, yeah, when he uh, got, solved the riddle six years ago, um, you know, he was in agonizing pain. And so he's been living with this curse of this gift from the Cenobites all this time. And so he's been, basically everybody thinks he's, the house is abandoned, but really he was just living there, but nobody, everybody assumed he was dead because nobody had ever just seen him again. Yeah. Right. 
uh, come to find out that he's got painkillers there because he went. He must have gone to the doctor for this thing. I, I or he probably got illegal drugs. Yeah, he just he, he probably just had called someone. He called a shady doctor and got he, some medication. Right. So he's taking yeah. this really strong painkillers because he's got this key looking thing in his chest. But um, from there, what what happens from there? Well, from there, the roommate is the next victim because he stabbed her with the box. Right. So Pinhead appears. The couple of the other Cenobites appear. And by the and- way, point of order, I just want to stress that, you know, because I, I read a, an article from Collider who talks about if you stab somebody with the, the box, the Cenobites, instead of going after who initially solved the box, it's kind of like... Really, in reality, it's cheating the system because when mm-hmm. you handle and manipulate the box yourself, you're supposed to get cut. And but if when, you don't get cut, but if you don't get cut and you cut somebody else with it, the Cenobites will go whoever the whoever's last person blood. who spilled yeah. blood was yeah, exactly. onto the box. Mm-hmm. So that's whoever's blood is in the box. In at the box. Time. That's who they're going right, to go after. Right. So, yeah. So they take her. They're they're. She's stabbed. She's bleeding. They they take her, throw her in the van. They're going to try to take her to the hospital. Right. And because she happened. was. Yeah. So what happened was, is the roommate girl uh, got confronted by the Cenobites. The wall opened up and there enters Pinhead and her, her uh, other couple others. I, I can't remember their names, but um, really cool. Cenobites. So they, yeah. They basically, they stole her from the van. So she's in the van. They're trying to drive away. And then the walls away, open and up the inside the van. Yeah. That was the coolest mm-hmm. scene. That was, was the coolest yeah. shot. The cinematography where they show, it kind of reminded me of A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, when she was in the hallway, and then the hallway yeah. gets really, really mm-hmm. long. Yeah. It also happened in Poltergeist, but it kind of happened here where the van, where the Cenobites come, they're unaware. They're in the front seat. In the back seat is her bleeding and somebody with her trying to take care of her. The van just grows, and you get this like sensation that they showed up mm-hmm. inside the van, and they pulled her back and, into the house, and pulled her back in the house from there. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So then she she has her scene with the Cenobites, and she gets tortured, and they realize she's not in the back of the van anymore. Anyways, I wasn't trying to do a beat for beat. I just wanted people to understand that uh, the first half of the movie is a setup, and the second half is a payoff at Void's house. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah. so inevitably we end up uh, seeing the Cenobites. Uh, they were summoned by her. They get out of the van. We we enters Chatterer. Well, yeah, because she starts playing with the puzzle box again, and it does stab her. Right. So no, she wasn't even playing with it. They manipulated it to stab her because they wanted her to make this decision now. Who are you going to choose? Are you going to let us take you? Or are you going to choose someone else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what happened was is Chatterer comes out of the ground. He's like, it just opens up. The ground opens up and he starts walking up these stairs. And mm-hmm. there's the same Chatterer from before, from the 80s movies, which yeah. is always everybody's favorite because he's so creepy. That, yeah. I, 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 mm-hmm. that, that, that chattering. And he shows up and uh, he kind of gets them fe- uh, kind of trapped in a fence and uh, so she grabs the box and stabs Shatterer, and uh, rules as rules. The chains mm-hmm. come, and 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 yeah, it, he he's explodes. the next victim. He's yeah. the next victim, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So chat. So they realize that that they can actually use the box against even the Cenobites, which is kind of neat. So yeah. so uh, uh, let's get off of all that. Let's get to the, the the last part of the movie, 
where basically what it boils down to is we have a confrontation where the Cenobites are outside of the house. They're back inside the house. They're, they seek refuge from the Cenobites in the house because they had led them out from the van. So all the Cenobites are standing outside of the house. That was the creepiest shit where you just got these yeah. Cenobites standing there just very stoic waiting and uh, with this kind of glee of delight on their face, this kind of satisfaction. Um, and that's what yeah. I liked about this movie was really, it wasn't the jump scares. What what made this movie good was uh, the adherence to really great storytelling about the lore and then uh, realistic characters and character motivations. And then of course the, the end scene payoff where uh, Voight comes out, Shows himself to everybody, and uh, we find out that the boyfriend is what? He's behind the whole thing. He's being paid off by Voight. Yeah, he was supposed to find victims. He he was to find victims, Mm -hmm. right? And so, and so, what happens is um, uh, basically is that um, you know the boy the the Matt's boyfriend, her brother's boyfriend. Gets hooked by the Cenobites. Because Voight stabs him. Because Voight stabbed yeah. him. And so the Cenobites come from him. And then what does she do? She, um, she yeah, it, there's two different things going on then. Because we've gotten to the Leviathan configuration. Yes. So because that was where it got a little fuzzy. Because Voight was holding it and then she was holding it. So they both got the, the wish. Well, she dropped was, it. Yeah. He ended so up with it. So they both ended up with it. Kind of. Yeah. So he, yeah. So he ends up with it. There's a scene with him and Pinhead and he's picking what he wants and he chooses power. Yes. So his contraption. Which is the highest level of ascension in the six configurations. Right. So, yes. And so he thinks he's going to get some kind of power. Like, oh, finally. Because, I mean, that was really the first, the last one was sensation and he didn't like that none too much. And so. He ends up saying, well, yes, I want power. You know, that's what this is all about. He's the one that, you know, had to brave all of the six trials and have a human sacrifice in each of those configurations. So by the end, he chooses the highest level, which is Leviathan or power. And uh, and so he ends up getting turned into a Cenobite. Mm hmm. Um, we were watching a review by Mr. H reviews on YouTube and I like Mr. H reviews. He's a good guy, this British chap. And, um, but he said he, he thought that she was, he was turning into a battery or something. And he was very disappointed when he found out that, oh, Voight was only getting turned into Cenobite. I was like, well, what part do you not understand? His -hmm. skin's getting torn off. It was clear to me that he was getting turned, changed into into a Cenobite. Cenobite. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so then in the meantime, while that's happening, the main character gets a hold of the, the box again. So Matt's boyfriend is getting tortured because he's the one that, whose blood was on the box. Right. And But then she remembers one of the Cenobites saying whoever's blood is on the box. Yes. She actually has it in the Leviathan configuration, which is very sharp, and she can choose now. So because... Yeah, and so uh, the Cenobites like I said, are very much guided in this movie by procedure. And mm-hmm. their procedure now is to, okay, you've done this. You have the highest level of ascension. So now you, we are offering you now a gift. What would you like? Well, first she chooses to save her boyfriend's 
boyfriend or her brother's boyfriend. Her brother's boyfriend. And she stabs her boyfriend, who was the one that was behind the whole thing. He tricked them into this whole thing. Right. So then her brother's boyfriend gets saved from being tortured to death. And because she chose him, because they don't care. They just want to torture someone. Well, so they don't want it, to. It's not about want. It's about procedure. They Well, yeah. They're guided by that's, these procedures. Yes, but they also enjoy it. So that's, Well, they get secret <laughs> pleasure out of it. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So she got to choose to sacrifice someone else. Yeah. But she chose the one who was behind the whole thing, who tricked her into this whole thing. Yeah. And so at the very end, we find out that um, Pinhead, which was, we'll go into all that after this, but Pinhead says... Uh, so you're choosing to refuse our gift because she's like, I don't want your gift. I've seen what your gifts do and I don't want one. Yeah. And I was surprised by that because um, I didn't know you could refuse a gift, but she ref- by refusing, she actually chose chose the lament, life, which was lament. Yeah. Right. So. so she says, so you're choosing to spend your rest, rest of your life lamenting on the fact uh, that you caused all this harm and pain to your brother and all these people so you're choosing basically the lament configuration. Yeah. I thought that was really I fucking good. I thought that was a great explanation for it. Well, yeah, because she realized that if she chose resurrection, he wasn't going to come back normal. He was going to come back fucked up. Because they already told her his ending was exquisite. So he's died. Yeah. So when she resurrects him, it's not going to be normal. Normal, yeah. I get mapped yeah, back the way he is. Yeah, and everything's going to be back to well, normal. Well, so she realized that. Anytime you get a gift from the Cenobites, you know that there's probably something Especially about it. Especially something like that, yeah. Always something dirty-handed, always something mm-hmm. shady about it. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so uh, Void ends up becoming a Cenobite, and uh, she chooses Lament, and so basically she has to live the rest of her life lamenting what happened over what happened yeah. the mm-hmm. pain that she caused mm-hmm. uh yeah and and so the that's what i liked is that the lament configuration is a box but it's also a state of being and i thought mm-hmm. ah that's yeah. neat i really yeah and, i liked that a lot yeah so let's start getting into let's we we've i really didn't mean to get into all the point by points but i just wanted to set it up well enough to talk about but um now let's talk about what you liked and what you didn't like about the movie just talk about yeah. what you liked and what you didn't like i i liked that the the characters at first i was like oh this is just going to be one note one dimensional characters i'm not going to like any of them yeah. but i actually came to care came about around them. to like them as people right? i liked the fact that as a the leading woman of the movie she wasn't all like oh i'm gonna be in tight clothes and i'm gonna be sexy like she was just in a she, t-shirt she was in a t-shirt and baggy pants and she yeah. was just a person which right. i really really appreciated it felt that. like a real person who was struggling through addiction yeah Exactly. That felt very real to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, it did. So I liked the the realism of it, mm-hmm. and I just liked the way they set up the lore and they explained it, and it actually made sense. Right. Well, because things were happening. Yeah, or why and I love Doug Bad- Bradley. I oh, love yeah. the Cenobites mm-hmm. from from the eighties and nineties. Um, but the problem with the series, what happened was the first three were pretty good, and then four through seven or eight or whatever it is just got increasingly worse. In fact. Once we got to five and beyond, it really did become a B movie cheese fest that had, you know, they were taking like scripts, B movie scripts of detective stories, and then just adding the Cenobites. It felt so shoehorned in and so bad. And so once Doug Bradley sort of decided, I can't be a part of this franchise anymore because you shit the bad, 
Um, he just didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Um, I think he's proud of it now. He loves the fact mm-hmm. that he's pinhead now. Oh, yeah. He, he, he relishes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a time there where it was just getting to be overrun and overblown and uh, nothing could salvage it. Once you put yeah. in two or three entries that are poorly done, I think the last good one really was four, which I think was Bloodline. And that's where we find out about the toy maker who created the puzzle box and the lineage and all that. And that was kind of neat. Um and there's a few scenes with Pinhead in the later entries that are okay. But then there was a couple movies where uh, Doug Bradley wasn't Pinhead at all. Mm-hmm. I thought that the one in 2011 was awful. He looked nothing like him. And then the one from 2018, I have yet to see the movie, but I have seen stills of him. At least Pinhead looks pretty good. I don't yeah. know if the story's good. I know it's got like a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um but yeah, so what I really liked about this movie was the attention to detail and the lore. Uh, yeah, they expounded definitely. upon the lore, and that's what a good um, reboot really does: is it establishes the 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 lore as it is, and then expounds upon it in some way. And I thought they did that really well. Yeah, definitely. That's what I really loved about it. Yeah, that it it made it make sense. Yeah, because. You know, I never knew why they called it the lament configuration, because if there's only one configuration, why would you call it lament? Made mm-hmm. no sense. Like, okay, so there's only lament? And I didn't know that the lament configuration was about ascension in these various trials. Yeah. I just, you know, it's just a puzzle box. But mm-hmm. I grew up knowing it as the lament configuration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for them to open it up to say the puzzle box actually has six different shapes or forms... That was well, well done. The fact that they put that much detail on it and it didn't drag the story down. It was really well done. Yeah. It just added to it. It didn't drag it down. It didn't mess with it in any way. Yeah. I think my favorite part of the movie was, um, yeah, it was realistic. Uh, The story was told well. And then uh, at the end of the day, uh, the Cenobites kicked ass. Uh, uh, Instead of having a black leather they were basically wearing skin and skin that was either folded or deformed in some way or fabricated in some way yeah so they were essentially naked but you don't see their nudity because they'll either rip the skin away there or they cover it with flesh or something like that Uh, but the way they did that was really quite exquisite i thought wow yeah it would be interesting to find close-up still shots of each of them and try to figure out how they manipulated the skin to make these certain right. configurations. Yeah. And it was, yeah, that was just amazing. What do you think about them changing the gender of Pinhead from male to female? I don't think it mattered at all. No, no, not at all. In fact, what I heard was they weren't trying to change the gender. They were trying to make him or her gender less mm-hmm. so that he had more of a sense of 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 mystery that they wanted yeah. to be well, androgynous they, yeah and sorts. they manipulated the voice enough that if it sounded more masculine she looked more feminine but her voice was more masculine which kind of and, like blurred the yeah, line between exactly. feminine and masculine yeah. i think mm-hmm. and i think that's yeah. what they were going for was that androgyny yeah Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, you get all the people who are talking about it being woke again. We can't change the sex of a character. Mm-hmm. You know, I love Doug Bradley, his version of Pinhead. It's awesome. 
Um, but I'm just one of those people that, you know, I don't overanalyze stuff. Like, so long as it's done well, it doesn't take away anything from the past. I'm not one of those yeah. guys that thinks like, oh, don't, you know, we have to worry about canon and consistency. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Did it make sense? Did it expound upon the lore in a in a satisfying way? I think it did. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, what's your star review? If it, if you, it was uh, one is horrible and ten is the best, what would you give it? Um, gosh, eight and a half or nine? Yeah, I just I really really liked it. it was I, I would so have well to say done. eight and a half or nine myself. Uh, yeah. I, I think the only deficiencies the the story had really was um, that. Maybe rewatchability. We've seen the movie twice so far. I enjoyed it again the second time, but the characters aren't a lot of fun, but they're mm-hmm. realistic. They're mm-hmm. grounded. So they don't yeah. feel like, you know, because I heard one of the reviewers talk about the final girl. Everybody's talking about the final girl. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, saying, oh, well, the final girl, this girl didn't make a good final girl. Well, I don't think when, like, you take Laurie Strode from Halloween. I don't think they intended to have a final girl. Mm-hmm. They didn't mean to invent the final girl. I think it's just that, you know, when you think of the actress that played the Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis just has the the looks and the um, she comes from two celebrity parents. She just has the gravitas to be a good final girl. So I don't yeah. think they intended to create a final girl with that. But now that we're you know, 40 years later, 50 years later, everybody thinks about the final girl like Heather Langenkamp in, in Nightmare on Elm Street, Laurie Strode, etc. Um, uh, and then th- there was the final girl in the original uh, Hellraiser in 1987. Um, but I never really saw this as needing a final girl, per se. What do you, what's your opinion on uh, the characters? Were they too bland? Were they too boring? I don't think so. They were people they were just real people yeah yeah which kind of grounded it a little bit instead of being a character or a caricature of people Mm -hmm. yeah no i just thought it had nuance there yeah okay so your final thoughts about the movie just summarize real quick yeah i i really liked it i liked how they expanded the lore a little bit i liked the realism of it the special effects were awesome Mm -hmm. it was just it was fun. It was a good movie. I liked it. Yeah, I, I thought it was very well done as well. Um, I, I feel like um, perhaps it will have diminishing returns in future viewings. In other words, you can make a very good movie, but that doesn't necessarily make it rewatchable. Uh, the second time was great. I think a third and fourth time will have diminishing returns. Now you're just kind of looking at the Cenobites. You don't really mm-hmm. care about the store anymore. Yeah. And then it's just about gushing over the Cenobites and the, the creature effects and the special effects. But I thought the Cenobites were really well done and um, the story was grounded and uh, it had a believability. And uh, I, I was really amazed at how well the director um, was able to uh, take the lore and take the story which is very complex and and have it all sort of make sense. You know, yeah. I always go on YouTube and it's always, you know, Hellraiser 2022 explained. What the fuck is there to get? I, I mean, <laughs> I know. he became a, a Cenobite and she l- had to lament her decision. The end. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, yeah. it's pretty self-evident to me. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I hope that they create a sequel here and that we get more of the Cenobites and we get more fun. And uh, I hope Maybe, hopefully, because I, I don't think this was... I think in a first reboot, you really do need 
groundedness. In the second movie, perhaps they can start making it more fun, mm-hmm. seeing more of the Cenobites, seeing more of Leviathan, things like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, what you all been waiting for? Baby, set up Rob Zombie's The <laughs> Monsters, please. Well, it is, it's basically a prequel to the TV show. It's when they're still in Transylvania. Yeah. So there's Lily, there's her, her father. The, and he wasn't yet grandpa. He was yeah, he's just not grandpa the yet. Count. And, right. <laughs> and we see Herman's origins and his beginning and him coming to life. And who created him mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. And them meeting and falling in love. And right. that's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you find out that uh, the Count, Grandpa Munster, really didn't like Herman in the beginning, which is very contrary to the TV show because they were kind of bosom buddies by then. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of that contentious relationship? It was it was a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Because I think we're so used to seeing their relationship. And so how, how much, I didn't love it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. You know, um, I, I'm just going to come out and say it. I liked this movie in terms of visual style choices. It felt like you were watching a, a Friday night um, horror TV show host come to life uh so it was very colorful it was very over the top um some of the performances i thought were really good sometimes sometimes they were very Mm cringeworthy and i literally felt myself cringing yeah um but uh, at the end of the day um i hear a lot of people say that um grandpa munster was the most like the character that a lot of people didn't like herman munster's performance because he didn't sound enough or wasn't enough. He didn't have those the pureness of the sixty the the Gwen, the Fred Gwynn character. Well, speak on that. Well, I think a lot of people their criticism with that is because his voice wasn't deep enough. Mm-hmm. That's literally the criticism. Yeah. Which okay. Well, if it takes you out of the movie, I can yeah. see why. But yeah, it didn't me though. So that's why I didn't mind it. Because I thought he kind of had the essence of him down, and he had the laugh down. And- oh, he definitely had the laugh down. Mm-hmm. He had the look down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know. And then, of course, uh, Sherry Moon Zombie, um, you know, she's not the best actress. I thought she held her own fine, mm-hmm. but she didn't add anything new, yeah. good to it. Yeah. I, I can't say that her performance was bad. I can't say that it was necessarily good. She just, she held her own. Yeah. I agree. And one thing I do want to bring up that nobody that we've seen any reviews, they'll mention the color and why it's why is it so bright? Mm -hmm. I came across an article that said that Universal did not allow him to do it in black and white. Right. So he went the complete opposite. The Technicolor mm -hmm. vomit. So that was the reason for (laughs) that absolute Technicolor color was because he was literally could not do it in black and white. If you can't do it in black and white, you might as well make it as lively as possible. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was kind of well done. Um, Yeah. uh, What would would you say, you know, just summarize what was right about the movie, what was wrong? Because there's a lot of folks that just fucking hate this movie. Talk Mm -hmm. about that. I personally, I, I thought the sets were really good. Yeah. I loved the sets. I liked the color. I, I thought it just made palette. it really fun. And it, it was, was fun just, and festive. It made it fun to watch. It, it um, felt like a movie you would watch around Halloween time with your kids. Yeah. It felt like a movie that um, was self-aware enough to not be taken seriously. So it knew it was campy and corny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was campy and corny. And mm-hmm. 
it kind of seems like people are putting too much onto the old series, like it was high art or something. But yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. It was cheesy. It was, it was campy. It was. Yeah, I mean, this, the thing I will say about this story that I liked is I thought Herman's performance was downright funny sometimes. Uh, every once in a while, I felt like he didn't have the heart of the mm-hmm. original uh, Fred Gwynn's performance. Yeah. Um, and then Grandpa Munster did really well. I thought he held his own really well. <clears throat> but, um, and then what happens is Rob Zombie is just not a good writer. And what I suffered from really was just feel, it felt like a string of sketches yeah, stitched together did. rather than a cohesive n- narrative. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed them on that level. It, just watching him in Paris with his wife, watching him uh, meet and find spot in the sewers of mm-hmm. Paris. Yeah. <laughs> Um, as a string of sketches, I was fine with it. But in terms of an overall movie, I thought it was very disjointed. Yeah. That was my was. problem. Um, but as far as the performances, I thought it was hit and miss. I think the problem really boils down to is that Rob Zombie just isn't full of nuance. He's not a nuanced person. No. So even the jokes either landed or didn't land. There was really no in between. Yeah. And when they didn't land, they really didn't land. Mm -hmm. I agree, yeah. Um, What else can you say, positive and negative, about the the movie? Um, I I think he got the feel of them pretty well. Yeah, the spirit of it. The spirit of it. Yeah. I think that it hit home. I I think the problem is, really, is that um, it wasn't, didn't have the heart of the original series, didn't have the spirit of their likability. Um. uh, you know, Sherry Moon Zombie just came off very wooden. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Herman Munster's performance. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Jeffrey. Uh, forgot his name, but it's Jeffrey D- uh, Daniel Phillips. And he's been in 31 and a few other things, too. So he's kind of become a part of the cast that he likes to reuse over and over again. Um, I thought his, being that. He took from one of his players, if you will, the Rob Zombie players. Mm-hmm. I thought he did a really good job, given the fact that he was one of Rob Zombie's favorite actors, and he yeah. didn't just do a cattle call for the best mm-hmm. performance. He went with one of his own actors, and for that, I thought he did really good. But yeah, I would have appreciated a little bit more heart. I was a little forlorn that it didn't have the... You know, just the likability of the characters from the 60s show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, address some of the hate. I mean, people just hate, hate, hate this thing. T- uh, talk about that. People basically hate everything about it. So Yeah, <laughs> I know. Just... They don't think that the story is structured well. They think the performances are bad. I don't know. I don't think it was that quite that bad. I think you have to go into this sort of... With your um, campy hat on, you have to know it's campy Definitely. and cheesy and know it's cringeworthy. And if you go into it with that sort of festivity of Halloween, the spirit of fun, the spirit of spookiness, mm-hmm. um, it it did good on that level. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, the sets were, I liked the sets. I thought they were really pretty. Yeah, the production value was, was fine. Yeah. Um, I it's I just, think, you can't compare it to a modern movie because it was yeah. made in a pandemic. It was made on a shoestring budget. And for what it was, it looked good enough. But I just, yeah, I, I would have just preferred a 
different story. I don't think we needed a prequel. I would have loved to see them already established in their house. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you saw Rob Zombie building this house on Instagram for months. And then you come to find out that the monster house is only in the last 15 minutes of the story. Right. Yeah. Like, why bother? Yeah, I know. You know? Although it was fun being in Transylvania. I liked the, yeah, yeah. the settings of the town squares and all that kind of stuff. So I did like that part of it. I thought some of the funniest stuff really was Richard Brake in the beginning mm-hmm. and that and Igor. Yeah. Their back and forth was was pretty hilarious. Mm-hmm. That was some of the yeah. funnest stuff for me. And then um, the funnest stuff of of Herman Munster was when uh, he first meets Lily and he's playing it all cool. Like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm available then. And then he would close the door and you could hear him going, mm-hmm. yippee, yeah. you know. That was kind of cute. I, mm-hmm. I actually enjoyed that. Um, my problem was, is we didn't need that whole scene of going to Paris. Yeah. No, <clears throat> we didn't need the contentious relationship with the Count and Herman. Um, because the whole show is basically hinged on their humor and rapport. Because the original actors, if you don't know, they did a they did another show together called Car 54, Where Are You? And there was a little nod to that when he got hurt, when he... He was like, Car 54, where are you? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that landed for a lot of people because they don't, they don't understand know. that. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I, I can't say that it, either were high art. I just think that this maybe lacked some of the wholesomeness that I mm-hmm. like. Yeah. I can agree with that. Yeah. Um, but as far as, yeah, like, I, I you know, Rob Zombie, if, if he would just write... Do the directing because I think he's he gets the visual style right, he gets the color palette right, he gets the campiness right. Some of the jokes were okay, but a lot of it wasn't okay. I think if he had had a writer write this for him and he just stuck to directing, we could have gotten the best of both worlds. Yeah, don't you think? Yeah, I do agree. That's yeah, okay. So, what's your final thoughts about the monsters 2022? My final thoughts. Just don't take it too seriously. Yeah. Just take yeah. it for what it is. It's just campy and cheesy. And it's Rob Zombie. So alcohol helps. He's alcohol Drink a couple def- beers. Drink a couple help. white claws. Yeah. And <laughs> it would be fun to kind of have on the background, like Halloween time, we're doing other stuff. Yeah. You know, it's not, I can see that. It's not worthy of a second, like, serious watch, I don't think. But no. just kind of having it on and paying attention to it here and there. As and, Halloween fodder. Yeah. And uh, as Halloween fun. It was yeah. It was fun, and I I enjoyed it. I well, yeah. I think the best part, the strength was, is that um, sometimes Herman Munster was done really well, and uh, Grandpa Munster was spot on, even with the mustache. I don't know why they cho- chose mm-hmm. the mustache. I was yeah. half assuming that they did it because uh, the actor had a mustache, but mm-hmm. no, they yeah, just chose to make him just, different. Yeah. yeah. Um, which really did work in terms of being a prequel. Maybe he shaved the mustache mm-hmm. for the series. Yeah. Once it got to America. But, um, yeah, you can't go into it seriously. I can't say that this was a well-made film. What I can say is that it has its very clear strengths and its very gaping mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you, so, I don't know. Who could, we, who could you recommend this movie for? People that are Rob Zombie fans. Because they know him, they know his style, they know how his brain works. Yeah. It's just, I think those people would appreciate it the most. Yeah, I thought he handled the um, spook factor pretty well. In a way, I was surprised at how well the world worked 
um, minus all the trashiness and swearing and all the craziness that mm-hmm. he usually goes for. Yeah. I thought that worked pretty good, yeah. all things considered. Mm-hmm. But as a whole piece of narrative, it just had some glaring story holes and some glaring um, humor holes that needed a little repairing. If they had just mm-hmm. taken his script and given it to a real screenplay writer, I think they could have patched it up and yeah. resuscitated yeah. it, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah. I but agree. yeah. Um, how ma- Okay. Star review. How many stars mm. would you give it out of 10? Out of 10. Uh, I don't. That's <laughs> a hard one. Maybe six. Yeah. I would give it a six. <laughs> Better than. It is a fun movie. Its strengths are there. Um, unfortunately, its glaring problems are there as well. And so as a total. As a whole, I'd say, yeah, six. I would. That's what I would yeah. give it to. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you, babe. Yeah. We've only got a couple of minutes left, but I kind of wanted to just talk about a good movie. Uh, Hellraiser was a great movie, uh, uh, but I would have to say that even better than Hellraiser 2022 is 2017's Get Out. Um, I don't want to set up a lot about it. We only have a few minutes left, but real quick... I know we're kind of a little bit late to the party, but talk about Get Out real quick and what that was about. Yeah, it was just about um, a woman and her fairly new boyfriend. Spoiler alert. Yeah, definitely spoiler alert. Um, Her boyfriend of four months, who she's taken home to meet mom and dad. Oh, yeah, five months. That's right. (laughs) Um, She's white. He's black. And so he has concerns from the beginning. Do they know? Is this going to be a problem? She's like, no, she, no, she, it's going to be fine. They're, she reassures him that her her dad yeah. voted for Obama twice mm-hmm. and that they were very progressive that way. Yeah, so they, they get there, and it's just weird. Everything feels weird. Feel, feels there's, off. Yeah, yeah, they drive in, and there's a groundskeeper there who's black, and he just looks weird. He acts off. weird. He's yeah. off. They have a, a, a housemaid. Who's black? Who is black? Who, who just acts off. feels off? Yeah. Everything just feels weird and, and off. then and and so they slowly, slowly make the story about first they want to bring him in and make him feel comfortable, and then you find out that the mom is a hypnotherapist, that the dad is a a, a, a surgeon, mm-hmm. a neurosurgeon, a, a neurosurgeon, right? And so you slowly find out that this family was originally led by. Um, her grandfather, and that basically the it was all about. <laughs> you find out that the groundskeeper mm-hmm. was their grandpa. Uh, the brain was plucked out of his body and put in the body of a black man. Although the, I think it was kind of a partial brain because there's still elements of the other person in there. Yeah, it's, they talk about how the um, the hypnosis sort of puts them kind of in the like, what did they call it in the deeper or something? Yeah, or in yeah. the depth, in the back, in the depth, Some- in the, something, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, where you're, they're kind of there in the back. And then uh, at one point, uh, the beginning of the movie, they showed this uh, African-American guy walking in this white suburb and getting uh, knocked out and kidnapped. And then later on, we're introduced to a black character at the party where he, he just acts different. And he's with this lady who's like, 30 years older than him and and then uh he snaps his camera because he's uh, chris the the african-american lead in this movie 
is a, a photographer and uh, he, he snaps this photo on his phone and uh, it kind of shakes him out for a moment yeah, out the of flash his turned on. hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they had to bring him back in and rehypnotize him. But you don't know that because they don't show that part. And really, so yeah, what you find at the end is basically this family is trying to breed and create uh, slaves out of African Americans. Well, yeah, and it's basically so these, it's like a whole like just underground occult group of people that yeah. they want to experience. Kind of like a Manson family it's, or something. Yeah. And they it, just, it very much had that feeling of of uh, the family in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where it was just a psychotic family who were all in on this thing together. Yeah, the family and then the group of people around them. Their friends their and extended family. Extended family, and family and then, right. Yeah. It was just fucking weird. But it was so well done. So well done. Dripping with social commentary. Yeah. Oh, Speak 100%. on that a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, just obviously the 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 wealth disparity first off with yeah. the white family that has the servants, the groundskeeper and the maid. And right. so that just in and of itself. And then when the brother's talking to him about with your like physical attributes or your genetics, genetics. So just your genetic quality. Yeah. So just, you could see these telltale signs mm-hmm. that they felt. I, I think what, it, what it was trying to talk about, because this is directed by an African-American Jordan Peele He's talking about the way white people act in front of black people that sometimes yeah. it feels like we're putting on a show for them or we're always trying to show black people our black bona fides. Yeah. And like we, I have a black fan. I voted for Obama. I You're like always Tiger. going out of your I way. I like Tiger Woods. I like right. Tiger Woods. You're always going out of your and way like, to show people how progressive you are, but in doing so, you're also showing how different you are from them. Yeah. And it shows the the fetishes I fetishization <laughs> you know how to yeah. say that word but yeah so it's like what do you mean by fetishization of what of of like athletic abilities or physical attributes i don't know if i call it fetishization i i would like like drawing attention to mm-hmm. their physical attributes yeah. more so yeah than their than their person 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 personality right, and right. who they are it's well, just the, yeah, the specific and, aspects of and them this and, the, yeah i would say this movie was really really interesting uh because it was an experiment it was a social experiment to show and and put a mirror up to society to show white culture that hey you know just be yourself around black people for one but yeah. also the um the overt racism versus the subdued racism that even if you're not outwardly or overtly racist, sometimes you can be racist just by drawing attention to their blackness. Yeah. Yeah. And that was happening a lot. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Tell me your final thoughts and your uh, star review of get out and tell me what you liked, what you did. Star review. I I'm going to give it a 10. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it just, it was very, um, social commentary but not heavy-handed about it just kind of showing how things are and the perceived ways that people act and um it was just so well done it was just so suspenseful and it was so eerie well, and i knew there and, was going to be a revelation but oh, yeah. i didn't know what <laughs> yeah exactly and we managed to stay away from spoiler reviews that yeah. whole time so it's just yeah i just i loved everything about it the the mood the atmosphere the social commentary what it boils down to is that throughout the history of african americans in america 
I can I can't speak for other places, but in America, um, even when they're granted equality, um, you know, Lincoln emancipated the slaves, and then you had another hundred years of Jim Crow laws that essentially made it downright difficult, if not um, impossible, for black people to make it in America. There was just all these laws and rules that granted white people more privileges over black people. And so now today we essentially have equality, but we're still shown that African-Americans are dealt with an undue hardship because of their differences. Mm -hmm. And I find that so sad that we could still to this day in the year 2022, not regard each other as equals because I mean, I remember back in the seventies I was, you know, you heard things like, uh, oh, black uh, football players could never be quarterback because they don't have the cognitive abilities of a white quarterback. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, um, I know. Yeah, so I, I love the way they addressed the, the social niceties and how that t- slowly tears down as the situation gets more and more real. I love the way that, um, you know, his reaction to their awkwardness they're going out of their way to try to um, befriend him. Uh, and it was so, like I said, that's more like latent racism where it's yeah. not overtly racist, but by telling people how you have a black friend, you're essentially admitting that you don't know anything about black people and you have no connection to black people at all. And um, it, it sort of just highlights how awkward it is for black people to try to intermix with white people with their lacking of experience mm-hmm. in african-american culture yeah it, it's so yeah. weird it was it was just weird and uncomfortable and eerie and sad and yeah you know at the maddening. very at the very end we saw the alternative ending so uh according to jordan peele he uh made this movie during the he wrote the script in the obama era and then he made the movie in the trump era and so the original the alternate alternative ending was so if you don't know, spoiler, uh, but, you know, the police show up at the very end. They're on the road. He had just choked his girlfriend slash ex-girlfriend now. Um, <clears throat> he, she had got shot by the gun. And then you see the police and you know, you know, when the police show up, it was going to be these white people who weren't going to take his side. And so that's how the alternative ending happens is where uh white cops show up and he ends up in prison and then there's a scene with um his tsa friend uh talking to him over the phone while he's in prison talking about how you know you know at least his soul is free he might be trapped but at least his soul is free you know Mm -hmm. even though they they won't you know the justice system will never believe that a black man in these circumstances, they would never believe what really happened yeah. because the evidence burned down in a fire. Yeah. Um, but in the real story, because now um, Jordan Peele said that during the Trump era, because of the blatant overt racism, he wanted to change the ending to, because at first he, if it had been shot in the Obama era, he wanted to talk about the latent or quiet racism but when Trumpism came to power and came to be, he's like, no, let's change this to show uh, the overt racism. And so when the, the ending was, you know, his TSA friend ended up coming to rescue him and, 
you're like, oh, thank God. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you knew if two white cops had come out, it would be like, oh, all over that's, for him. It, it would have ended like it would have ended in real life. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. And, and that's so. exactly what this movie is about. It's about we all say that we believe in equality. Um, but a lot of times actions speak louder than words. And so it boils down to the fact that we have to really get used to each other and be uh, kinder and and and. I mean, how can you not see a black person as equal, as different? I mean, we have different cultural heritages, but... That's to, what makes it good. Yeah, that's what made the movie so good, is, is it really did talk about all those little differences that amount to why, to this day, there seems to be that miscommunication between the races, and uh, it's just a sad state of affairs that we're not further along than we are in terms of our racial equality. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. It is. It pisses me off. And I know, me too. Anyway. So I was glad to see Whitey get, get his in the end. Yeah, I know. It, it, me too, me too, because they were so strange. But it, I just love the nuance of how well it was done. This was a well-crafted film. Yeah. It deserved the 98% tomato score. In fact, I would say... Why would 2% not like mm-hmm. it? I don't understand yeah. why anybody would dislike this movie yeah. unless you were just inherently racist yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, just the subject matter, just the, it was just so well done. It Socially was, relevant. It was creepy. It kept you on the edge felt of your modern. seat. It felt modern. Yeah. It felt real. It just, yeah. it was just so good. And yeah, and like I said, when you finally find out that this family has have been monsters their whole life, uh, you know, they show her, she's wearing headphones, and she's got all these pictures of her former black boyfriends. Who she lured. Who she lured, yeah. And you realize that basically it was a it was a, a black slave factory is what it yeah. was. Yeah, it was. Oh, creepy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, you got anything more to say, baby? Uh, no, just go watch the movies. Yeah, it was really good. Um, Best time of year to watch movies. Yeah, we're just, every night we're watching spooky movies. We're, um, I'm not sure what's on the docket tonight. What do you feel like watching tonight? I am not sure. Yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. But um, happy Halloween season, you guys. And um, thank you for joining us on another episode of Surviving Empathy. Uh, We've done two shows back to back. We are tired. We're going to go eat some lasagna. I like lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, you guys, thank you so much. We'll see you next week. We love you. Have a good day. Bye.